You're listening to Story Warriors, the podcast that helps you craft great stories. Whether you're pitching investors, preparing a conference talk, writing copy, or even a book, a powerful story will help you connect with your audience and encourage them to take action. Thanks for joining Story Warriors. I'm your host, Jack Vincent. One of the many things I love about being part of TED and the TEDx community is that I meet some really interesting people. I had just such luck when I met Greg Robbins two years ago. He performed the song he wrote, Morning in America, and he told the story of how he had to create that song. The bonus for me knowing Greg is exactly this. He's an awesome storyteller. He writes heart-grabbing lyrics and beautiful songs. Even more recently, he's published a children's book, which appeals to kids, but like, dare I say, Harry Potter, it has deep meaning for all ages. Don't tell anybody, but his day job is a financial advisor, and he's an American living in Switzerland. I have too much in common with this guy, and it's my pleasure to have with me today on Story Warriors, Greg Robbins. Welcome, Greg. Jack, great to be here with you. Such a pleasure. I think you and I are brethren somehow, strategic and poetic Americans living in Switzerland, about the same age. I think I have a few on you. I don't know about you, but my career and personal journey has been far from linear. How about yours? Where did it all start? Wow. Firstly, I completely agree. We do have many, many things that overlap for sure. Uh, You are the poet between the two of us, just to be Completely clear with the listeners. I don't um, know about that. Your, your <laughs> lyrics touch the human condition, man. Uh, that's, that's very kind. A question like where did it all begin is difficult to answer. The easy question to answer is about linearity because it has certainly not been linear. But let's go to the difficult question. For me, I guess if you go way, way back, it all began in New York City, which is something we also have in common. I was born technically in a hospital in Brooklyn. I grew up in the Bronx. I am a Bronx kid. And I spent, you know, 19 years of my life there, and it was a great place to grow up. And that was the first chapter of my life. I had lots of different interests. I was very interested in sport and music. Those were two loves that have remained to this day. And then I went to the Bronx High School of Science, which is a great school. I went there probably for all the wrong reasons. You know, I wanted to go to music and art. I wanted to be a musician at that point in my life, actually a classical musician. I guess part of my nature was to push the boundaries of whatever I could. And I pushed it in high school to see how infrequently I could go and still do okay. And that worked for two years, and it didn't work in my third year. So I wound up dropping out of Bronx Science in my third year. You're a high school dropout. Come on. I am am a proud high school dropout. Um, (laughs) You know, it's funny because when you've done okay in your life and people relate to you in a way of success and, and achievement, when you say things like you dropped out of high school, they say things like, that must have been great. And what did you do? And you must have had interesting projects to work on and you were pursuing some other path. And I say, well, that all sounds great, but it had nothing to do with that. I was a teenager with some issues on my mind and I didn't want to be in school. And, I, and, and that was the, the, the truth of it. So at the time, it was a very painful process. Now I can talk about it with more perspective and with more distance and with more understanding of what happened. But that was the reality, you know, and I left Bronx Science and had the hard 
reality of coming to terms with that because I didn't want to confront it until I had to, which was when I returned to repeat my junior year. The guidance counselor at Bronx Science, a woman named Dona, became an incredibly important person in my life, almost a surrogate mother to me. We're very close to this day, so we're still like family 35 plus years later. And she confronted me with the hard realities of what happened, asked me what my plans were, and I named a number of Ivy League schools that I thought I would attend where she was asking whether I planned to go back to high school or not. That was really a cold shower, and it was just what I needed to have happen then. You know, and I think in life, we need these wake-up calls to then stop, process what's happened, just like a little kid who burns his finger. Then you learn a little bit that the things are hot. So I needed to learn. And what was it that you learned, Greg, beyond going back to school? What was the big lesson here? She basically convinced me that if I would play by the rules a bit and do kind of radical things like actually go to class and do my work, that I could actually shine and show people what I knew people could see, but I couldn't show them. So literally, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear or the mentor. Yes, yes. So then apparently you got it all on track and you ended up and graduated Oxford. It was a matter of course correcting and understanding, changing a little bit the way I perceived how to still be original, but play within the system. And that worked to me. And so we're all creatures of habit. So if we start to experience some success, we keep with it. And so I managed to get back. I managed to repeat my year, do my last two years. I had this really schizophrenic kind of high school career of terrible grades and then excellent grades. And then I applied to colleges to hope somebody would look at the excellent side and look less at the other side. And I was, I was very fortunate. And Rice University gave me that chance. And they took me in and changed my life. I did my BA at, at Rice University. I often say that was the first foreign country I ever visited was Texas. But I did survive that. And then I branched out further and I went to, to Oxford. One of my most cherished places on earth is Oxford. And that was in finance? My master's was in Russian and East European studies, which is wow. a, a passion of mine. The doctorate was in the management school uh, with a specialization in finance. So now today, just as a fun aside, if you go to my author's page on Amazon, it really is the case that you will see two books published. One is Banking and Transition Economies with Macmillan Press. And the other, which I guess we'll talk about, is Silencio, Sound the Alarm, which is my children's story. That's just come out. And those two <laughs> things came from me. That is definitely yin-yang. Okay, so then you graduate there, and now here you are, successful in finance. Not a completely linear road either, and it had to come with some broken expectations at some point. But here you are now, successful. And Well, I mean, I think we often use the word successful, and I think that itself could have a whole podcast about, because how you define success okay. uh, is very important. So I know people that would seem on the surface successful, but that are really not successful because they're either maybe working more than they want to or they've valued the wrong things which they've achieved. So I think for each person, we have our own definitions of success. Well, you left Oxford and went on to a career in finance, which you're doing now when you're not writing music and stories. You've been putting bread on the table here in Switzerland. So I assume you've had some level of success that you're happy with the definition of, no? In my own definition, I have been successful which is about relationships, about being a good father and a good husband and creating and doing good work within the business that I work in. And, and so there's a variety of, of measures. 
So was it always that way? No. I had this great career at Citibank, and I spent about five years with, with Citibank, in, uh, initially in London and then in Switzerland. I reached a point in 2001 where I chose to leave Citibank and actually move back to the States. You know this because it was around the time of 9-11, and my father was dying. And so oh. it was a very heavy year. And I chose to pick up and move my three children back to America. And I left Citibank. And then I learned something very important. I always took for granted that careers were just upward. And it was just a matter of fending off all the different opportunities and choosing what you wanted to do. And for various reasons, it didn't work in that instance. And I went back to the States and found myself out of work in America having just had a family tragedy, having had a national tragedy, and had to pick up the pieces and rebuild my life. That is so timely with me because with 2001, 9-11, my career had just hit the skids. Mm. One learns a lot. 2001, I was riding high mm. until May when my employer went bankrupt. Here I was in Europe, family in Switzerland, moved back to Switzerland, learned a lot of hard lessons in 2001. So you and I, again, have something yeah. so much in common. What were you feeling at this point? Well, by nature, I'm an optimistic person, which I think has served me well in my life, because I've been able to confront real hardship and real difficulty in a positive manner. So I think I took it in a positive way. But it was very, very frustrating when you feel like you're underutilized, and you have all these things to offer the world, and the world is not buying that is a tough place to be in. I so much agree with you. You have so much you want to give to the world, and the world just isn't, the doors aren't open. Yeah, we all secretly hope that the phone's going to ring in the middle of the night, and it's going to be exactly what we want, and it's going to just come to us. And the truth is, it doesn't happen like that. So you have to go towards wherever you want to go, and then it can come a little bit towards you. And you have to be willing to accept rejection, which is a tough thing when you're not used to it, and you think you're terrific, which many of us do. And you have to accept the fact that you don't have full control over situations, and you have to just do your best. But it is true that we need luck, but we also make our own luck by putting ourselves out there, being genuine, being authentic, and sooner or later, things do move in the direction you want. That's the lesson I took away. And you got it back on track. Here you are, the finance business is providing for you, and you lost your father. And then here you were, a family man with kids. I know there were some bumps and bruises there as well. I think I should have poured myself something a little stronger this afternoon for this podcast. In life, we have to keep a lot of things in balance, not just our career, not just our personal life, not just our health, but all of these things. And it's a tough balancing act. And so you're right. I came back to Switzerland. It was actually 2007. Moved back, took a very big, interesting job with one of the Swiss banks running a regional Russian East European business. And that really consumed me. And it was terrific. And at the same time, I reached a point where I needed to leave my first marriage. And that was painful because I had three young daughters. At the time, they were, I believe it was seven, nine, and 12 that was a really difficult decision, which I weighed and struggled with, but in the end, believed it was the right thing to do. I tried to plan it in a way that would cushion the blow, which in the end didn't quite work. I separated in 2008 and embarked on a, on a new 
life, partly professionally and partly personally. You and I have both been there too. Everyone says kids would rather have happier separated parents than miserable married parents. However, change is a tough thing. And sometimes what hurts the most is other people's hurt. I think you're absolutely right. What you said is is wise and correct. I mean, I think my kids to this day would say it was the right decision, although it was a painful decision. What I learned in doing that, I learned the hard way, was the degree to which my kids were on the one side taken from me for a period of time and used and manipulated in this process. And that was very unfortunate. There is probably some material for writing songs and poetry. I've written poetry on love. Your songs Mm. have universal love in it. Is this something that you've ever written about? Does the love for your kids and the hardship, is that anything you've ever written about? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Some things which I've, to this day, not released and kept private, and some which I have released. On my albums, so I mentioned three years, there's a series of songs that trace that process. Uh, The first of a series of songs was called So Many Ways. And So Many Ways was a song I wrote when I separated and left my kids at that time. A year or two later, I wrote a song called Memories and Yesterdays. And that was about being apart. And then there was a happy ending. At the end of three years, I reunited with my kids and I wrote a song called Believe specifically about that, and then wound up putting it on my second album and recording it with my daughter, Casey, who's a talented singer, and she and I sang it as a duet. So it's nice when there can be these kind of happy endings. It's beyond nice. You've had bumps and bruises and stories and lessons learned from three, dropping out of high school, putting it back together, drop out of finance, and then try to jump back in hurdles there. And then marriage and children, you have three happy endings. Is there a big lesson among the three of them? Is there a moral to your story? Thank you, Chad. It's a great question. The big lesson is, is that I think I'm not the outlier. As I said at the very beginning of the conversation, if somebody lives a linear life, I'd like to see that person and talk to them because everybody I seem to talk to has these bumps in the road. So I think we all live messy lives, and I think we should rejoice in that and not hide it. And so the the corollary with that is I think we should be authentic and open and not what I like to call not Photoshop our own lives. We do that in all sorts of ways. And you mentioned Facebook. There is this sense of the happy Facebook life. In so many other aspects of our lives, we do that. We create resumes. We have LinkedIn profiles. I think that's fine, and it serves a purpose. I think the mistake we make is when we actually believe that that is our life, because our life is not these series of jobs and these series of awards. Our life is what happens in between those things, and it kind of goes up and down, and it goes backwards and forwards. That, I think, is the main lesson, which is not to try to Photoshop your life, not to create some stylized model of your life, not to try to convince others that your life is this perfect progression. And most fundamentally, and this is the part people don't get, is not to try to convince yourself that it's that. Because I see young people trying so hard to convince themselves 
that they're on this path of success and they don't want to have setbacks and they don't want to take risks in their work. I think that is the really big lesson is that in many things we can fail, we can have problems as I'm living proof of, we can bounce back and we can be better than ever. Share that. Tell people because I promise you, I don't know who's listening to this podcast. Millions and, and millions and millions and millions. Right. And of those millions, I'm willing to bet some meaningful percentage would have been nodding their heads when I talked about leaving school. Another meaningful percentage when I talked about losing my job and running around trying to reconstruct my career. Sadly, a big percentage when I talked about the issues in the divorce with children would have been nodding their heads. I'm certainly in for two and three. I can tell you that. Now, these are stories that define Greg. Tell me about other stories that you create for the greater universe. And of course, they come from your own heart. Silencio, what's that all about? What did you draw it from? What's the story there? Hey, if you're enjoying Story Warriors, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found me. And if you're looking to sell with more success or pitch with more impact, well, that's what I do. I help solopreneurs, startups, and Fortune 500s alike sell more effectively. If you want to talk about the challenges and opportunities you're facing in driving your top line, send me an email at jack at jackvincent.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. Tell me about other stories that you create for the greater universe. And of course, they come from your own heart. Silencio, what's that all about? What did you draw it from? What's the story there? Silencio, it's called Silencio Sound the Alarm, is, is again a children's story. We, it's for six to 10-year-olds, but there's a lot of puns and plays on words. So hopefully it's fun for parents as well. The background there is I used to write stories with my kids. Writing short fiction for kids is a lot of fun, actually, and you can be very creative and invent things. And we all really enjoyed it. And so I kind of collected these. Writing stories is very similar to writing songs, and it's probably similar to writing poetry, which is the story takes you where it wants you to go. And it's this iterative process. And I talked about this on the TEDx stage as well. The songs tell me what they're about, and I tell them what I think they're about. And then we kind of meet in the middle somewhere. And so Silencio is quite a sweet story, I have to say, about an alarm clock and a family of alarm clocks. And this alarm clock is created with a fatal flaw. And that flaw is he has a conscience and he feels empathy. So an alarm clock's mission in life, as we say in the book, is to wake people up. And so feeling empathy and having a conscience gets in the way of that. And so poor little Silencio spends his entire life unable to wake anybody up. He then gets sent to clock boarding school in Switzerland. <laughs> he has struggles there. And ultimately, I don't want to... Don't give it away. But he, let's just say, comes out a hero. Comes out a hero because of these flaws and because of the things that make him different. And so the book, in fact, the dedication in the end is not to any person. It's dedicated to being different and to making a difference in one's own time you know, another play on words with time. I think the bigger underlying piece is you can be different, you can be quieter, 
you can be not in the mainstream and you can rise up and become a hero. And I do think the whole topic of empathy and having a conscience, I think, has a, a much greater significance in today's world with all that's going on. And I would never want to relate this to politics or anything like that. But I think it's an important lesson for young people. I really do. I mean, that's why I do this. It's for love. It's not a commercial project. Now, being a children's book, I'm sure it's simple, but at the same time has some unique design to it. I would be remiss not to mention the illustrator who brought it to life in ways I couldn't have even imagined. Her name is Charity Russell. She's a delightful person. She's in the UK. She's illustrated many children's stories. And she has really taken these characters, and it just gives me endless joy to look at the illustrations. I've seen the cover and the back cover and a few of the pages, and it is really, really awesome stuff. Thank you It's out, right? It's available now. It's being released. I'm still fine-tuning. Probably as this podcast is being released, it will be out and available. There'll be a paperback is on Amazon, and there'll be a hardback edition on Ingram Spark. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. Absolutely. Between songwriting, Greg, and book writing, and when you craft a story, what are your go-to tools or the one thing that you look to achieve? This is Story Warriors. I love the stories of my guests, and my guests are storytellers. So what are some big go-to tools? For me, stories evolve. When you cook, over time, if you create a sauce, the time plays to your advantage and the sauce thickens and deepens and becomes more complex. Wines become more complex. And I think the same is true for storytelling. I personally create an idea, that idea starts to take shape. Usually my go-to thing in the beginning is handwritten stuff. So I grab a pencil, I sit down, and I just start scribbling away. Very important in storytelling, songwriting, or anything, The creative process and the editing process are not only different, they kind of work against each other. So as you're creating, just write. So with music, I will often not have the lyrics down pat. I will need to substitute in words, but I know where I want to go. You know, when Paul McCartney wrote yesterday, it was called scrambled eggs. I'm glad it became yesterday, but but (laughs) it was scrambled. It was scrambled eggs for a while. So I've had my own share of scrambled egg songs where I kind of know where it's going, but I don't worry about it in the beginning and it finds its way. So that's a big lesson, which is don't get hung up if you're not sure of a word or a scene or something. Keep moving forward because your creative brain will get into conflict with your analytical editing brain. Edit later and keep moving forward. And then when I feel I have something pretty good, my standard thing is I then put it onto a document in the laptop and then I can play with it and edit it. So that's my progression. Personally, what I do with a song is I will record a demo at home and I will listen to it. And I will, as I walk around at times, just put my headphones on and just let this kind of go. Just kind of gestate, right? Just let the yin take its course with the passive energy? Again, back to a chef, it's tasting your sauce as you cook. It's tasting your food, right? And you kind of go, hmm, it needs a bit of this. And that's the way you taste it, right? You walk, you listen to it. And at a certain point, it becomes clear. Wasn't it Hemingway who said, write drunk, edit sober? That's a great way of putting it. It's a great way of putting it. Like, just get get creative and flow and then wake up tomorrow, take the coffee and sit down, mean machine editing. 
Another thing I like about what you just said is the Beatles. You know my love for the Beatles. I've had an episode on the Beatles. It was great. Everybody. Thank you. McCartney and Lennon, which were the dynamic duo as far as songwriting. Yeah, George had a few and Ringo had a few. But the real the guys who really worked each other hard, generously and lovingly were Lennon McCartney. Paul used to find joy in his flow of writing music and writing songs and lyrics. He used to find joy. And John used to struggle and be miserable in a way that he knew he had to do it. But he was the messenger. And damn, this is hard work. And I believe that John kind of edited as he went. And Paul woke up the next day and said, yeah, we can make this better today. So while you say you do it this way, others who are geniuses don't. But that's what works for you. And it is probably something for those starting to write and create and craft with words included. Need to just chill. Just get your first draft down. Go in a direction. How do you feel about that? It's Look, it's 100% right. I mean, that's the one thing I think that is universally true for everybody. You've got to get started. You've got to put words down. And you'll go down wrong paths and you'll create things that aren't great. I have a couple of albums out. I have another couple of albums written that I think will come out. And then I have loads of other songs that for all sorts of reasons I haven't put out that sit there. That Mark Knopfler, who's a fabulous songwriter. I met him, by the way. You did? Oh, I did. Yeah, I, have, be- I have not had the... Not had the yeah. pleasure, but he's 1977, he's December, and they hit wow. it big in 78. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. He's he's incredible talent. Obviously, one of the world's great guitarists, but also a great songwriter. His songwriting takes a long time. So he will have songs based on what I've understood. He will have songs for decades in a little book and come back to them. When I stood on that TEDx stage and, and did much better than I would have done had you not been helping me. Um, oh, thank you. One of it was a joy being part of that. Thank you for thank you for having me as well, a coach or whatever. It's a great pleasure. My my reason, you know, in bringing up TEDx is on that stage. If you remember, I said that most people ask the question you're just asking, which is how do you do it? What's your technique? Do you write words? Do you write music? And I on that day said, well, I actually don't want to talk about that, which I could talk about it, but much more importantly, I want to talk about why I write. Because I think that is what is really at the artistic level that we share with others. We have our deep-seated reasons for writing. So Paul McCartney and John Lennon and Mark Knopfler, they have the things that drive them. I have the things that drive me. You have the things that drive you. And that is, at a human level, what we share. So I think we need to separate a little bit craft and soul. What is it that drives you? Oh, it's a great question. I think what drives me to create is I love I love to bring something to life that didn't exist. I love to add something in my own small way to the world that is outside of me. My stories and my songs are there's something external to me that I've shared, people have listened to or read. So I love that process from the idea phase, bringing something to creation. So in music, it is intoxicating for me to grab onto songs, go into a studio, bring in other musicians and have it come to life. And with a story, it's the same thing. It's working your way through to see where it's going to go and then fine tuning it and then discovering things. In my little book about Silencio, 
Silencio went from being Silencio with a C, the Spanish, which you know very well, to Silencio with a Z. And he wound up having an Italian background for different reasons, and that gets woven into the story. And that just kind of came up. And this is why creation is such a beautiful thing. You just bring things to life. You discover things about yourself, about others, about these characters, and then you share it. So I'm horribly proud about the songs and about the books. And Cool. Sharing is my driver. And the creation of it, but the whole goal is to get something that I feel is valuable, entertaining, and life-impacting, if I can reach that, to at some point share it. I just love doing that. Let's go back to TEDx Zuriberg. You performed Morning in America, which is just such a lovely song, and where you and I worked together in crafting your story about the creation of Morning in America. I'd like to ask you to play that for our listeners. That was two years ago. That was TEDx. I know creative people, and I know you, and I know the well is very deep. Is it morning in America? Or has anything else impacted you from marriage to finance to careers to just messy lives for what everybody's living right now? Is there anything you want to share with us in the way of your music? Wow. Well, once again, I would now say of all your listeners of the millions today, I would say 100 percent would would identify with messy lives in 2020. Right. We've all had messy lives. The world has been a messy life. Thank you for all the kind comments about about TEDx. Uh, Morning in America is a song near and dear to my heart about a much happier time in America and the world. People can listen to it at TEDx. It's on my first album. What I would what I would prefer to share today Oddly enough, and I didn't know this when we started, but it ties together a few things we talked about. During COVID, you will remember that many people were putting out wonderful, creative, musical things on Zoom and on YouTube, orchestral performances and vocal performances with different iPhones being used, and it was fabulous. And I think we all just loved it. I had something prepared to release for COVID. In the end, didn't. I think I still will. I lined up all the musicians and people, and it was going to be, and for certain reasons, I had to postpone it. So this is a song which I think fits the moment reasonably well, and it also speaks to the optimism I try to bring to life. It's a song called Tomorrow Will Be Better Than Today. In light of 2020, it's a message, I think, that bears repeating and bears sharing. The backstory on this song goes back 10 years And I mentioned I wrote a number of songs that were very personal to me that I never shared. This was a song that I wrote actually about family matters initially, and I never released it. And then when this pandemic came, I was looking for inspiration, and it brought me back to that song. And of course, I rewrote it and adapted it, and it fit really well this moment. Creation is a lifelong endeavor. It goes on. You don't stop. You create, you recreate, you revisit, you grow. Great. Do you want to play Tomorrow Will Be Better Than Today? Do you want to play that now? I'm happy to to strum a few bars. I can play and then you cut whatever you'd like to. Ah, come on. It goes a little bit like this. Times in our lives that are harder than the rest. Times in our lives when we're put to the test. And in these times we must And we will always say Tomorrow will be better 
tomorrow will be better than today. And for everybody listening, I hope that's true. Oh, Greg, very touching. Just when so many of us need it, we can all use it at some time. Greg, where can the audience find you? Greg Robbins, G-R-E-G-G-R-O-B-I-N-S, in case anyone wants to Google. Any shortcuts to finding you? For my music, I have a a website, which is gregrobbins.com. I am on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Those are the best ways to find me. Um, And if anybody writes to you and you pass it on to me, I'm happy to respond to any of your listeners who, for some reason, were inspired to reach out after today. I'm happy if they contact you directly, but it's great energy always with you, man. We have a bromance, and now you're a story warrior, Greg Robbins, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, Jack. I could not be happier, and it is a great honor to be part of your terrific podcast. I hope people enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed doing it. Thank you. Greg Robbins. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. If you've got something you want me to cover or an idea for an episode or any suggestions at all, I'd love to hear from you. Check out my website and send me a message at jack at jackvincent.com. Let's connect on social, too. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you found me. Thanks again, and hope you join me for next week's episode of Story Warriors.